We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So with that, I'm ready to talk some Notre Dame football. Are you ready for rapid fire? Man, we got going on all these rule changes, and it still feels like we could, <laughs> you know, go on for another 30 minutes. But I know I'm always ready for the rapid fire segue. All right, let's do it. So during his New York media blitz last week, Marcus Freeman told the NFL Network that he and his family took a red eye flight back from Hawaii to South Bend. And he used it to get a feel for what he and his team will go through when the Irish go to Ireland to open the season. So how much do you think this is actually going to help, Jess? So (laughs) this is a tricky one because Marcus Freeman, um, Marcus Freeman isn't a player, right? Like at the end of the day, he's still going through the same schedule as the players, but his body isn't being taxed quite like the players. So I think that in order to make an apple to apple comparison, it's a little hard. But what I will say is I respect Marcus Freeman for going out of his way to get some sort of feel on the situation in general, even if it's not going to be the exact same because of what I was just saying, like the players aren't, you know, the players are actually playing a game that's much more physically demanding than what it means to be a coach. And then experiencing, you know, that, that basically change of time zone when you're traveling, it's going to hit the players a little bit harder. What I'm saying is I respect Marcus Freeman as a head coach because I don't think most head coaches would still try to grasp what that feels like in general. So I think that it is beneficial because Marcus Freeman will have some sort of idea what it, you know, what kind of impact it has. My thing is what kind of impact, how much is that impact amplified to the players? Because again, they're the ones actually playing in a very grueling and physical matchup. And we're talking, you know, against Navy, which is one of the more physical matchups as is already, you know, defending the triple option, et cetera. So I think it's great. Marcus Freeman did it. And I think it allows him to have some sort of grasp of the situation. I just don't think he'll have a full grasp of it because he's not a player himself. Well, like one of the things that, you know, for one, there's a six hour time difference between Eastern time where South Bend is and Hawaii. There's a five hour time difference between Eastern time and Ireland. So you've got, you know, one hour difference there. You've got about the same, you know, cause it's, you're going to be doing the same thing going from Hawaii to South bend 
is similar from a time difference from going to South Bend to Ireland. So you've got a lot of similarity there. And like one of the things that he talked about was, you know, it's like, hey, get up the next day. And the way his body felt, it's like, okay, when we get there, I don't think we probably need to do a full practice that first day as much as, okay, we go through a walkthrough as we're getting acclimated a little bit and do some things a little bit different. And so from that aspect, I, you know, I think it's great because again, you're talking about a very similar time difference, you know, Hawaii to South Bend, South Bend to Ireland. So I think that it's great that he was able to experience that as someone who's a little bit older and can kind of feel that because, you know, one of the things he talked about the NFL, like every couple of years, one of these NFL teams is going to Europe and you've got even more of them going to Europe now with the games in Germany. And obviously you've got the London games and all that, you know, it's like going on all the time. Those teams are always doing that, you know? So like he said that he's kind of picked some of their brains a little bit as well to kind of talk about how they've done things. And going back to what we were talking about with the Tennessee game, you know, part of the rationalization in this whole thing is, okay, it's like, okay, you're playing Navy in Ireland to open up the season. You're not going to put a bye week coming back you know, right afterwards, instead, you're going to play an FCS team, you know, so it, 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 it like, it's a bye week, but it's not a bye week. And instead, you're going to have two bye weeks in the last month of the season later on. So, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a roll of a dice, but you know, that's part of the trade-off for what, what Notre Dame is doing by adding that FCS team, which I still really don't care for. But the fact that they've chosen to lay their schedule out this way, that's kind of, it's the kind of the way it's going to go. Yeah. And yeah, I, I just kind of have to agree with that because it, you're essentially giving yourself a, I don't want to like bite my tongue later because you never know. Like what if Notre Dame <laughs> pulls a Michigan and loses to Appalachian state. Right. But like, it, it's basically like a half bye week by scheduling the FCS opponent at that point in the season. Cause you know, you have a long layover, you know, that the prep shouldn't be as strenuous Shouldn't be as hard, but again, like you just never know. And so you don't want, and that's what I, I hate is you're create you're already creating a mindset as is, you know, that this Tennessee state game right. isn't as serious as what you're it could staying, be. And that's right. And that's when catastrophic things happen, aka yes. Michigan and Appalachian State. Yeah, and a close call against Ball State a few years back. That's exactly right. James asking why Sam Hartman had his rib removed. I'm sure you've probably maybe seen that story over the last few days after the, excuse me, media blitz last week. So I guess when Sam Hartman, when he was at Wake Forest last year, he had that blood clotting disorder and it sidelined him at the start of the season. And what they did was removed some of his rib, like upper rib cage, I believe, it, like up near his collarbone, so that it helped with his blood circulation to cut down on the clotting, apparently. So they removed part of his rib, and what he is now somewhat, you know, famously, infamously, however you want to look at it, he's given it to his mom, and he wants the rib turned into a necklace. So, but that's why he had the rib removed, because it is because of this blood clotting disorder. It is up here near the collarbone someplace, and it is supposed to help the circulation of his blood to cut down on the clotting. So that's apparently why he did it. 
Very interesting. Would you ever have your uh, rib turned into a necklace? I think about it, but I don't know if I could actually go through with it. I understand the concept of it, right? Like it's, I think that kind of maybe fits, you know, who Sam Hartman is a little bit, but it's a little weird at the same time for me. (laughs) It is. It is. It's a little strange. It's a little strange. So Brian Kelly was asked at SEC Media Days if he's close, if he's closing the gap with Georgia since he's been at LSU. His answer, no, it's not. The gap is not closed. So let me ask you this, Jesse. Has Notre Dame's gap closed since Marcus Freeman has been head coach? Has has the gap closed with the Georgias and Alabamas of the world? So that's a tough question because if you look at record, you would look at, what, eight and four, right? And you would say, no, that gap did not close. But the flip side of it for me would be, Notre Dame, even though that they went eight and four last year, since Marcus Freeman has been head coach and leading up to Marcus Freeman being a head coach, they are drastically changing the type of player that they're getting on the field. And I think that they are also drastically changing the relationship between head coach and player and what that dynamic and respect looks like on both sides. Cause I think, I think players love and respect Marcus Freeman more than they loved and respected Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly basically just said, here's how it's going to be. You're going to listen to me. And if you don't like it, well, that's going to be basically the end of that, right? Like it, it, that's, it's just tough, tough cookie at that point. But I think there is more of a dialogue between Marcus Freeman and his players and a clear expectation of what the standards are going to be and Marcus Freeman is going to do everything in his power to help you get, you know, to where they need you to be on the team. And so when you take those things into consideration, again, the recruiting, the level of talent on the field, the players, et cetera, I think that the gap has closed in those regards, but we haven't quite seen it yet in terms of record. But I don't think that Marcus Freeman should be held to the hook as his what his record was being a first-time head coach at the University of Notre Dame. So I will say that the gap has closed. I don't know if it's closed drastically, but I do think that they've made steps towards making that gap close. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yes, I agree with that. You, you you took a long way to get there to the end, but I agree with with what you're saying. I I agree as well that the gap has at least incrementally closed, you know, but just as you lay it out, eight and four, you haven't seen it on the field with the exception of they did beat a team that's won a couple national championships in the last few years in Clemson last year. But in terms of the Alabamas and Georgias of the world, look, like for Brian Kelly, it's the same topic, right? It's like new address, same topic. Like he used to get asked all the time about closing the gap when he was here at Notre Dame. And of course he threw it right back at the media. No one was supposed to ask him about that. He got ticked off about it. And now he's down at LSU and he's getting gap closing questions, you know? And I, and I, and I think that that's, that's just kind of what it is. But he's also doing his Brian Kelly thing. He's keeping expectations as low as possible and, you know, trying to trying to go from there so that everything looks like a big accomplishment if he's able to get there. To what you were saying, like I agree with everything that you're saying, you know, relationship-wise that Marcus Freeman is doing. We've talked before about, look, Notre Dame might not be quite yet getting the five-star elite players yet but Marcus Freeman's blue chip ratio the you know the the percentage of four and five star guys that he has been you know recruiting so far and getting commitments from and signed obviously last year compared to Brian Kelly's Marcus Freeman Marcus Freeman's blue chip ratio is 20 percent higher than what Brian Kelly was doing so while, you know, like it might only be incrementally, but I think that, you know, they're like the gap is starting to close. It's where Marcus Freeman can keep it going. Can he keep it going? Can he, you know, can he continue to up the ante with the kind of quarterback recruits that he's bringing in? Because I think that that's where you can you can offset a lot if you start getting bigger hits with the quarterbacks like they're getting. And, you know, they're already doing a good job of that. Get a bigger hit with the quarterbacks, then you're gonna you're gonna, you know, not just inch it, you know, you're gonna gain a few yards on them. But so I think I think they're starting to, but there is still a ways to go to truly get there to catch up with those uh, schools. Yeah, and I think sorry, just to add one more thing that I I left sure. out. I, I think another major difference between Brian Kelly and Marcus Freeman is Marcus Freeman owns his mistakes and lives up to his mistakes and is accountable for his mistakes. And I don't think he Brian tries Kelly to, throws them back at everybody. I, else. That was exactly what I was getting ready to say. Brian Kelly throws, he deflects everything that goes wrong onto everyone else until it was time for something to go right. Then he wanted to be the guy to kind of take all the credit. I think when things are going great or things are going horrible, Marcus Freeman, it goes through Marcus Freeman first and he would never throw any of his players under the bus. It is always, you know, well, I need to do this or I need to change that or you know, I need to do this and then relay that on to the players so they can execute it. So that's another big one, in my opinion. And I, I think that I don't know how much that it, it actually closes the gap, but I think that's going to help you close the gap 
quicker because you have a coach that, again, and to me it goes back to players, they're going to want to play for someone more so and give more hard work and effort for someone that knows that they know is going to have their back at the end of the day. Right. So we talked about some rule changes up front. One thing that I, that I've seen tossed out the idea of power five relegation, the bottom teams, you know, in the power four, you know, like if you're at the bottom of a power five conference, <laughs> you drop down a level. If you're at the you know top of a lower conference, you would get to pop up, you know, like say it was Cincinnati a couple years back, like Cincinnati could have potentially traded places with a team like Kansas or Vanderbilt, you know, like bottom feeder type teams in their conferences for the season that the Bearcats have. What do you think about the, the concept of power five relegation? Um, I'm going to go out and say, while the idea sounds cool, I just think there's too many logistics and too many overall teams to make it happen because you see relegation happen primarily in, in like soccer, but the, the pool of teams is much smaller. Right. And so I, I like it to me, it's like you, you can't really relegate to a different conference because I think there's too many logistical issues. Like what if a team is really bad at football but really good at basketball. Like, are you only relegating per sport? So like maybe you have a team that's, you know, not in a power five conference for football, but is in a power five conference for basketball. So the only way that I think that you could accomplish this is if you had like a top and bottom tier within the same like conference, like if the ACC had like a, a, a ACC, you know, like a top conference, like, yeah. like a top and bottom tier. And maybe you get relegated to those based off of, you know, performance and everything. And as big as the conferences are getting, you could easily do that. You could have, right. a, you know, like the upper division and the lower division, basically. Yeah. And so I don't think that you could cross, you know, conference lines because of what I was talking about. Like I, there's right. just too much disparity between every sport. But I do think that if you did it, like you could still do it per sport because you could, again, have a top and bottom tier, you know, per sport. And then you get relegated to, to that. And maybe it's like, you know, the top two, two thirds of teams are the teams that stay in the top tier and the bottom one third are the teams that are in the bottom tier. I think that's the only way that you could go about it. Yeah. Like if, if college football ever goes to this system that a lot of people have talked about where, you know, like the power five break off, or you've got one body that's overseeing all of, you know, it's, you just have to separate football from the rest of the sports. I think if you're going to do this, because there's just too many moving parts when you start throwing in all the other sports, because you would essentially be moving from one conference to another where, you know, what, what you said there were like with all these super conferences, obviously the sec and the big 10 being the poster ch children for that, you could make an upper division and a lower division, but then you're also going to start talking about your lower division teams are probably going to be bringing in less revenue every year and then you're going to make some people mad and you're going to have you know texas leaving the big 12 after you know the, the rest of the anchor teams of the big eight you know even in big 12 have left so i i think it's a little bit much if you had one oversight if it was just football and you had football under one you know kind of blanket organization i think it could potentially work but I think there's probably a reason that you only see relegation overseas in those other sports, even though people want to compare soccer 
to American football. Um, I think it's just different. I, I, I don't think that it would work over here, especially in college, again, because there's so many different sports involved. It's not just football. And you're talking about schools and conferences and everything else. Fill in the blank. It's blank that the SEC announced it will hold its football media days in Dallas next year, which coincides with Texas and Oklahoma's move to the conference. It is a big marketing move that the SEC announced uh, that their media day is going to be in Dallas, Texas, uh, which, again, is coincidentally that the, the same time that Texas and Oklahoma are going to be joining the SEC. And I, I saw... I saw some backlash on this, basically saying that the SEC already decided that it was going to be rotating between cities coming up and that it, it, it's not just a, you know, but come on. It, the, the, the year that Texas, one of the biggest states in the country, you know, and Dallas being a huge, one of the biggest markets in the country as well. And you're telling me that that's completely coincidental. Uh, there's no fooling me, my friend. That's, uh, that's, th they did that on purpose, right? Like you're going to get the most no bang for your buck. Right. Uh, and again, it's a huge promotional marketing, you know, whatever you want to call it. And it just looks good on behalf of the SEC. So I've heard that, you know, and it's going to be in Nashville, you know, in upcoming years and, you know, here and there, but okay, that's all fine. If the SEC has, you know, this, this list of cities that they're going to start rotating between, but the fact that it's in Dallas, the year that those two teams are joining, there's no coincidence for me. You know, no that's very, that's very much a strategic move on, you know, the, I'm part of the SEC, uh, the NCAA, everyone involved. They know what they're doing. Yeah, from the minute the Big Ten or the, the Big Ten, from the minute Texas joined the Big 12, you know, they had a way of making everyone around them mad. And they had a way of, you know, because basically it was always about Texas. You know, they got their. They got their Longhorn network. It ticked everybody off. You know, again, it, it, it sent Nebraska, Missouri, Colorado to other conferences, three different conferences, as a matter of fact. And, it, you know, it, it splintered all the, the, the jealousies. And, you know, they started moving events that used to, you know, if Big 8 events, you know, out of Kansas City and down to Dallas. Most of them ended up back in Kansas City because it's like oh it just makes more sense up here there's a good infrastructure here but you know there was there was just a lot of that and you can't tell me it's coincidence that the first year you know the SEC had no reason to go to Dallas before That's Texas right. and Oklahoma always been were there. in one spot from my yeah, understanding it's, it's out of the SEC footprint you know until next year when Oklahoma and Texas join and the, even though Oklahoma's obviously Oklahoma, it's not that far south of south north of the Metroplex down there. So you can't tell me it's just coincidence that it's happening. And Texas already getting its uh, burn orange flex on joining the <laughs> SEC next year. So this is going to be the final season for Texas and Oklahoma in the Big Twelve. And of course, you've got USC and UCLA in the Pac twelve. You know, set to join the Big Ten next year when you look at the value of schools joining new conferences do you think that market size or the brand of the school is more important um to me this is may and hopefully i don't offend anyone this is an easy answer for me because without the brand there's no market 
right? Like if 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 USC isn't who they are, they don't establish the market because their brand hasn't traveled across. Like they haven't established a successful program and a program of, you know, of winning essentially. So I think that you have to establish yourself as the school first, create the brand. And because of what you've created as a brand, you've created the market because more people want to watch you, right? Like more people want to, they're in, and they're enthralled by, you know, good football, good baseball, good basketball, whatever it might be. In this case, obviously football is the driving decision for, for mainly everything. If you don't have a good football program and you don't have sustained success and, you know, you haven't made it to playoffs, you haven't won national championships, etc. Well, then there's no real market because who's going to be a fan of you? No one, no, no one really supports a team that's just downright, you know, bad every year. So to me, the, the market is set by the brand and that's kind of where I'm going to leave that at. Yeah. Shy town as we're talking about prestige or money, because that's two different answers. Well, I get what you're saying there, but the point is Notre Dame is arguably the biggest brand in all of college sports and it's in South Bend, Indiana. It is not in a major market. Whereas, you know, like, especially when we start talking about, you know, what, what's all this conference realignment about? It's not about prestige. It's about the money that schools are able to generate and look at Texas and Oklahoma. They're not in major markets. Look at, look at Alabama, Tuscaloosa, look at Georgia, Athens, you know, like USC is a little bit of an outlier because they happen to be in Los Angeles. Now, USC and UCLA leaving for the Big Ten is a big deal because it leaves the second biggest media market in the country. Like, like that really hurts the Pac-12 in terms of their media negotiation. But for the rest of college football, like or college sports, college football being the bus driver, it is predominantly about the brand that generates the revenue as opposed to the market that the brand comes from. In professional sports, it is predominantly about the market size because the market size that you're in, that you are in, ten, you know, it 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 sets the value that you are able to generate from your media contract. But in college sports, it is much more about the brand than it is the market because again, like. Alabama, Notre Dame, Texas, go on down the list. You know, again, Georgia, you know, Clemson, as long as they're a big commodity. Florida State, when they're good, you know, Tallahassee is obviously not a big market. It is much more about the brand and what you can do with that brand, what that brand means to what you're adding it to that is that is going to be the one that generates the revenue, not not the market size. That's kind of my point. Brent Venables took a shot at Deion Sanders at Big 12 Media Days. Quote, I was unlike Deion. I gave guys 12 months of grace to figure it out, end quote. Of course, he's talking about how Deion Sanders, you know, ran off so much of the Colorado Buffaloes when he took over. So are Venables' comments fair or foul? Um, This is another easy one for me. I think his comments are completely foul. Um, I, I honestly don't think he has any grounds to make those sort of comments because I am under the big impression and I go through this a lot and, and, and granted my, my stakes aren't nearly as high. I coach seven to nine year olds in baseball, 
But the thing that <laughs> irritates me the most is when another coach tries to tell me how to coach my team. And I think that that's just a line, no matter what sport you're in, what age group you're in, you're the coach of that team. You make the decisions. You were hired by people who trusted you to make those decisions. And so I just don't think he has any legs to stand on, essentially. And I think another point to, to further validate my argument is. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply it's it's not Brent Venable's head coaching career. It's Deion Sanders' head coaching career. It, you know, he's he's in the driver's seat for how he wants to, you know, essentially build a successful roster. It's not Brent Venable's record at, at Colorado that's impacted by what players he does and doesn't keep. It's Deion Sanders. And so I, I think that Deion Sanders can do what he wants to do because he's the one that has to go through the repercussions or the benefits of it or the criticism or the praise for it. It's no one else. So I, I, again, I just think it's completely foul. Yeah, I agree. John Christophic is on the other side. He says it's fair. And, you know, again, like Deion Sanders is polarizing, but I think, I think it's funny and, and I agree that it's foul, but it's funny because Oklahoma hadn't had a losing season since 1998 before Brent Venables took over and led them to a thud of a six and seven record last year. So they had their first losing season and that's after going 11 and two the year before Brent Venables inherited a program that had gone to new Year's six bowls in five of the six previous seasons. And again, they won 11 games the year before he took over Lincoln Riley left the, you know, the cupboard, you know, he took some guys with him, obviously Caleb Williams being the most notable and they also lost Spencer Rattler, but there was still a pretty good roster intact at Oklahoma and Brent Venables goes six and seven after a team, you know, had won 11 games the year before and gone to a new year's six bowl. Colorado hasn't been to a new Year's six bowl in more than 20 years. They went one and 11 last year. So there's a pretty big disparity in the kind of rosters that Brent Venables inherited at Oklahoma last year and the one that Deion Sanders inherited at Colorado this year. So, you know, there was a lot more work, you know, for, for, for Deion. Right, like Colorado was in Colorado. the dumper and Oklahoma was riding. It's probably exactly. some of the best highs there was that no, it's had. There was no reason for Brent Venables. You know, like Brent Venables had, you know, a security blanket, basically. Like he didn't have to run it. You know, he's like, I gave him 12 months grace period. Well, it's easier to give 12 months grace period when you take over the kind of roster you took over compared to the one that Dion took over. Now, again, you know, you can, you can say, was it a little bit extreme or even, you know, a lot extreme the way Dion did it? Of course you can make that case, but Brent Venables didn't need an overhaul. Dion Sanders needed an overhaul and he, he performed his overhaul within, you know, the right, parameters like of the system he was given. Deion Sanders wasn't told to come in and have another losing season. He was asked to come and do what he needs to do to change things around. And that's what he deemed necessary to turn things around. He knows what good players look like. He's a good player himself. He's coached good players. He knows it, it, with that roster, 
with the set of players he has, whether or not he can turn it around. And he made the decision that I can't turn it around with this group of players. I need, you know, more talent. So, I mean, again, is it, did he go about it in the best way? Probably not, but I mean, I would have probably done the same thing myself. Obviously, if a team's going 0-12, 1-11, whatever it was Colorado was doing, they don't have the players suited to win. And Deion Sanders is getting the players to turn that around. Yeah. All right, last question tonight. Fill in the blank. It's blank that Richard Sherman is uh, reportedly a candidate to join Skip Bayless on his FS1 debate show, Undisputed. It is kind of surprising that Richard Sherman is a candidate because so here's here's I think this show has a formula for what they think generates the most popularity and viewership etc and that's getting someone that is very contradictory and argumentative of Skip Bayless so that fits the mold to me but Skip Bayless has proven that that can only last for so long. And then he drives that person out. And I think Richard Sherman is a lot less patient and I guess maybe strong opinionated that I think they're going to clash heads even quicker. And it's going to, it it would lead to quicker disputes. And essentially what we saw with Shannon Sharp, it, it would just be escalated at a more rapid pace. So again, I know that they're trying to, you know, fit into this formula that they've, that they've seen have success before, but Richard Sherman is, is again, I, I is not as calm and won't be as calm as Shannon Sharp was for as long as he was. I mean, he seems, yeah, he seems just as strong-willed and overly opinionated, if not more so, than Bayless himself. And, you know, like you said, you know, like, Bayless obviously went his way. And it's like, the list is very, like, apparently they've had a hard time even getting to Richard Sherman on this list, you know, of, like people that they've talked to. Nobody wants to work with the guy, you know? So I'm sure if they throw a big bucket of money at Richard Sherman, who's obviously already doing some work in, in TV. And again, it's like, this is a guy who, you know, is like hyper opinionated himself. I just, I think it, I is don't know. Kinda... It might be entertaining for a while, but like you said, the staying power, I have a hard time seeing. Yeah. And, and someone said it, it's, you know, kind of comical. It is kind of comical and nothing against Richard Sherman, but if that's how far down the list you have to go of people with experience, because Richard Sherman doesn't have a ton of experience, I think it shows that no one wants to work with Skip Bayless, right? Like, who would want to work with Skip Bayless? Yeah. And that's kind of where you are. And, you know, like, you look at since Stephen A. and Bayless have gone their separate ways. Now, Stephen A. has obviously gone through some different hosts as well, but, like, he... He's at a place now with kind of the way it is. It, it There's at least, it seems like, a working mutual respect that he has for the people who are on his show that has not been the same, you know, when you look at the at, at how Skip Bayless has done his business on his show. So I have a hard time seeing it work in the long haul. Maybe they just need to do what Stephen A., you know, did for a while. You know, like, just bring in a, a rotating cast so you don't have to have the same person sitting there every day so you don't wear each other out you know like like when it was him and and shannon sharp i'm still curious to see where shannon sharp ends up i know we haven't uh haven't heard anything on that yet but there been some rumble like i've heard like some different you know maybe on an nfl you know show or something like that 
I would think that he'll be someplace this season by the time it's all said and done. No, I do too. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up with that. Appreciate you joining us here tonight. As always, if you would, hit that like button on your way out. And, of course, subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platform. And we will talk to you tomorrow once again on IB Nation Sports Talk. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.